Matthew chapter 6 is where we're going to spend our time this morning. Um, we're we're going to launch a new series for the next several weeks. We're going to walk through the Lord's Prayer. Uh, today we're going to do Matthew 6, verse 5 through 8. Your bulletin is incorrect. Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 8 is where we're going to begin this week. Hear now the words of the Lord. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites... For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray... Do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many, many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This is God's Word. Amen? Amen. If you ever make it big, if you ever become famous, if you ever make it big, you'll probably acquire a lot of things. You'll probably get a nice new fancy house if you ever make it big. If you ever make it big, you'll, you'll probably get a nice new fancy car. You'll probably have tailor-made clothes. You'll, you'll, you'll probably go to the best boutiques if you're a lady. You'll, you may even have red-bottom shoes if you ever make it big. If you make it big, you may even get a private jet. If you make it big, you you may get a driver who will drive you every place you need to be. And some of y'all are drivers right now. But if you make it big, you actually may get to hire a driver. If you make it big, you'll probably get an accountant to manage all of your major affairs and those funds. Uh, You'll also probably get a publicist. The job of a publicist is to literally publicize a person. The job of a publicist is to manage the reputation of a client, right? The job of a publicist is to make sure to everybody else that client's reputation is good and rock solid. LeBron James has a publicist. They're doing a fantastic job growing his brand. Lindsay Lohan has a publicist. The worst job in the history of jobs is Lindsay Lohan's publicist. Chris Brown has a publicist. I would hate to be this guy's publicist. Why? Because he's always in trouble and my job is to protect his reputation and he's making my job impossible. If you ever make it big, you will probably get a publicist. I think when we come to our text here this morning, what we're going to see in Matthew chapter 6 is there are times in our lives that we play the publicist for our personal lives. And you know what? We use prayer to make ourselves look good. We, we use prayer to stiffen up and to strengthen our reputation. We play the publicist so often. 
this morning I want us to see three main ideas. We'll see that the purpose of prayer is not to focus on self. That prayer is not complicated. And lastly, we'll see that prayer is not to inform God. I've titled this message, How Not to Pray. But before we jump in, let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for how good you are. Thank you that you are present when we worship you. Thank you, Father, that you are present now, even the preaching of the word, you are here. And so, Father, I pray that you would move me out of the way, that you would speak to our hearts this morning, that you would do what only you can do. Would you convict our hearts? Would you draw us closer to you? Father, I pray that your name would be famous this morning even more famous than it already is. Well, thank you for what you're going to do in Jesus' name. Amen. The Sermon on the Mount is one of the most famous sermons ever preached by Jesus himself. Jesus gets extremely practical with this teaching. It's important to notice the incredible standard present in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 14 through 16, he says it this way. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Then, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, look at this. It says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. And if you're like me, you're asking yourself, you're asking Jesus, Jesus, which one is it? Do you want me to so shine my light before men, or do you want me to be careful how I portray myself? Jesus, which one is it? And what we see in the Sermon on the Mount, we see a standard that is virtually impossible to meet. This is all more revealed, this all, more, all the more reveals our need for Jesus. It all the more reveals how we are not competent enough to satisfy all that needs to be satisfied. So understand this. As we jump into Jesus' teaching on prayer, it is with the understanding that Jesus literally raises the bar in the Sermon on the Mount in His effort to boldly say, You need me. You need me. Jesus lifts the standard, and what He is saying to us is, You need me. You cannot survive without me. You can't do it on your own. You need me. We need to first see that the purpose of prayer is not to focus on self. Look at verse 5 and 6 with me. It says this, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, and they may be, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Parenthetically, I love what Jesus does here. He uses the word 
when you pray. The words, when you pray, when you pray, when you pray. Three different times. And what Jesus is saying is the believer in Jesus Christ will be a person of prayer. It's not if you pray, but it's when you pray. And you and I need to hear that this morning. I think Jesus is acknowledging a deep dependence that we all have whether we know it or not. Jesus says, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you will be a person of prayer. You will pray. Prayer is the second illustration Jesus gives as it relates to putting on a show for the applause of people. First, Jesus says that about giving to the poor, and then he mentions the same thing about prayer. It's so easy for us to look at the Pharisees and to turn our nose up at the Pharisees and to assume that Jesus is only talking to the Pharisees. But newsflash for you, Jesus is talking to believers in Jesus Christ this morning in our text. Jesus isn't just talking to the Pharisees, He's also talking to those who have put their faith in Jesus. Sin has so touched every area of our lives that even while we're in the presence of God, we are attempting to worship ourselves. Sin has so touched every part of our lives that even when we kneel down to pray, we are more concerned with what other people think about us than what God thinks about us. That's sin. Sin has so dominated and taken root in our hearts that we worship ourselves even in the midst of the presence of God. Imagine that. An old school preacher and theologian said it this way, If this picture does not persuade us of our own utter sinfulness, of our hope, hopelessness, as well as our helplessness. If it does not make us see our need of the grace of God in the matter of salvation, and the necessity of forgiveness, rebirth, and a new nature, then I know nothing that ever can persuade us of it. What Lloyd-Jones is saying is that we are so messed up, that even in the presence of God, we are thinking more about ourselves than we do about God. Can you believe that? We, we are so saturated with sin that we will focus more on ourselves and what people think about us than we do about what God thinks about us. Than we do about communing with Him. We're focusing on the pleasure and, and what other people think about us. See... Um, we could easily hear this and say that Jesus is teaching about public prayer and He's saying that public prayer is wrong. That's not at all what Jesus is saying. In fact, there are plenty of times in Scripture that Jesus endorses public prayer. One of them is my favorite, Matthew chapter 26, verse 41. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane and He goes deep into the Garden. Jesus leaves His disciples at the gate of the Garden and He commands them, He says to them in, in Mark, He says, watch and pray. Watch and pray. Jesus commands them to be watchful and to pray in public. Jesus is against the wickedness in your my heart that makes us desire to be seen and glorified by others when we pray. 
See, the wrong way to pray is focusing on the one who is praying in the prayer rather than focusing on the one who we're praying to. See, the big idea here is whether we are in private or in public, our attention ought to be focused on God and not ourselves. Um, Do we have any single people in here? Do we have any single people in here? Do we have any single people in here? Alright, fellas, I just hooked you up, you know. Um, I'm looking out for you. Don't ever say I haven't done anything for you. Um, ever been on a date, single folks, and you married folks? Married folk get married and they just forget everything. They, that's one of the things I don't... They, they get married and they just forget everything. Like they, they completely forget what it was like to be single. Um, but if you ever went on a date, and you, maybe it was a blind date, and you're sitting at, 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 across, at a table across from a person that you have never met before, and this person just won't stop talking about themselves. Have you ever been on a date? Anybody? Can I get an amen? You ever, you ever been on a date like that? All he wants to do is talk about his job and his accolades and all his schooling and all of all she wants to do is to talk about her clothing or whatever it it makes me mad i've been on some dates like that um it's ridiculous and i just want to say excuse me woman would you just be quiet would you just stop it nobody wants to hear somebody who is consumed with themselves Nobody wants to hear from a person who only thinks of themselves. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying here. When you come to Jesus, when you come to the Lord in prayer, you ought to be more focused on Him than you are with yourself. You and I ought to be more focused on not what other people think about us, but what God thinks about us and how we are presenting ourselves before Him. That's what real prayer is. Secondly, we see that prayer is not complicated. Look at verse 7 with me. It says, When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. What Jesus is pointing to here is the Gentiles' belief that the more they pray, the more acceptable they will be to God. And in a sense, they create this kind of contract with God. And they say, I pray this much, God, and you bless me this much. The the more I I, I pray in solitude, God, the more you will bless me. And, And the Gentiles would create this kind of cyclical contract. And in their minds, if I can just pray more, pray more, if I can just give up fancy words, and if I can just articulate all of the Pentateuch to God, He will bless me even more. And Jesus turns that idea on his head. Jesus says, it's not about how complicated your words are. It's not about how sharp you are. It's not about how long you can pray and how often you can pray. But it's how earnest your prayer is. Jesus turns the idea on its head that the more I pray, the more God will bless me. Are you hearing me this morning? Because so many of us have this same attitude in Memphis, Tennessee. 
The, the more I go to church, God will bless me. The more I go to this Bible study, God will bless me. The more I get away and pray, God will bless me. And hear me now, those are great things. But you need to understand that God's blessing, God's acceptance is not dependent upon how much you think you do good things. Because our righteousness, even on a good day, is but a filthy rag. Scholar F. Dale Bruner, he says it this way, The paradox of prayer is that only when it is relieved of the necessity of much will people experience the freedom for much. When disciples know they don't have to pray much, they will surprisingly desire to pray more. Do you hear that? When we lift this heavy burden off of our shoulders, this idea that I've got to pray five times a day, like some who hold that worldview. If I don't pray five times a day, I will not be acceptable any longer. And what Jesus does is He turns that whole idea on His head, and Jesus says, I still receive you. I still desire to commune with you. Jesus needs to let the Jewish audience know that prayer is not a burden, but it is a pleasure. Your amount of prayer does not, does not, does not guarantee access to God. We need to hear that as Memphians. And I know I'm, I'm, I'm on this relationship stuff today, but um, Facebook kind of bugs me a little bit. Relationship statuses on Facebook. What in the world does it's complicated mean? Like, what does that mean? To put on your Facebook, it's complicated. If you have to put it's complicated, you probably better not put a status at all. Um, some of y'all have it's complicated and, and you really should put he ain't worth a darn. Like, you really should put it's complicated again. Um, and I think when we think about that, we... we we deal with these rough relationships and we'll put it's complicated on our status. But it doesn't have to be that way. And I think what, what Jesus tells us here in this text is that our prayer life does not have to be complicated. What He longs for is for us to present ourselves to Him earnestly and to commune with God. To lay ourselves before God and to commune with Him, to spend time with Him. If you're in a relationship and there's a person that you, I mean, you really like this person. Um, you, you, they give you butterflies a little bit. Um, you're in this relationship. Do you think you have to work to spend time with this person? No, it's a pleasure. You, you love it. You, you enjoy it. You know what? You will rearrange your schedule to get time with this person. Because you enjoy their presence. I think what, that's what Jesus is getting at. He, he longs for us to be in the presence of God. That we may enjoy it. And that it may not be a task for us. But that it would be our pleasure to be in the presence of God. Lastly, prayer is not to inform God. I love this. Verse 8 says it this way, 
Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. Several times in the text we see, pray to your Father, your Father who sees, and your Father who knows. That's extremely important to understanding prayer. Because if we don't view God as our Father and us as our child, and and, and us as God's child, we will always view prayer as a task. It'd be hard for us to engage in prayer if we don't view God as our Father. And what kind of father wouldn't want to give their child good things? What kind of father wouldn't... What kind of good, decent father wouldn't want to present good things to the child that they love. God says, you are my child and I want to give you good things. Come to me in prayer. Jesus is pointing to the importance of the father-child relationship. And when we go to God, we need to see Him as Father. What father would keep good things from their child? Ephesians 3.20 says it this way, He is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that God is able to do far more than you can ever begin to dream? If you don't believe that, you will struggle in prayer. You will struggle to pray because you won't go before the throne of grace because you honestly believe, and you, maybe you, don't, you wouldn't say this with your mouth, but you practically believe that God can't do anything for you. But Paul reassures us that God is able to do far more and exceedingly more, abundantly more than we could ever begin to ask or think. Tim Keller says it best this way. He says... We can be sure our prayers are answered precisely in the way we would want them to be answered if we knew everything God knows. Here's what he's saying. God knows everything. And so shouldn't it be more easy, shouldn't it be easier for us to go before the throne of grace when we understand that God knows everything that we need, everything that we wrestle with, every struggle we have, every imperfection we have, God knows anyway. So why not go to God and agree with Him in prayer because whatever we bring to Him is not a surprise to Him. Do you know that you cannot catch God by surprise? You won't surprise Him with the things that you bring to Him in prayer. Those things that you struggle with that maybe nobody knows about, you will not surprise God. And God says, my son, my daughter, bring those things to me in prayer. And watch how I can work. Once we better understand that God knows will be more prone to go before Him in prayer. See, the biggest reason that we can confidently go to the Father is because of the work of Jesus at the cross. How do we know that things aren't a surprise to God? How do we know that God knows anyway? And how do we know that God looks at us as His children because He sent Jesus for us? 
One of the reasons why we don't have to worry and we can go to the throne of grace, we can present ourselves to God in prayer, is because God sent Jesus. He loved us that much. To send His only Son, to stand in our place, to die the death that we should have died. That's some kind of love. That's a love that beckons us to present our, ourselves to God in prayer. To give all of our requests to Him. To make our requests known to God. That's a kind of love that welcomes all of our filth. That welcomes all of our shame. That welcomes all of our guilt. That kind of love. The reality that God gave up His only Son says, Come to me, daughter. I welcome you. The reality that God gave up His only Son and His Son didn't stay dead, but He rose again from the grave on the third day, says, Come to me, son. Come to me, daughter. I welcome you. Would you pray to me? Would you give yourself over in dependence on me? I want to close with us praying. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Before we prepare to go to the table, I would love for you to just do some business with God. And, and without thinking about what other people think about you, would you just talk to God in the quietness of your own heart? Would you just meet with Him in this moment? What Jesus says in our text in Matthew chapter 6 is, I welcome you, son. I welcome you, daughter. I welcome you to submit yourself to me. Talk to Him. Commune with Him now.